I really want people to not give up on themselves. I want them to know that on a daily basis, you can get into your optimal state of mind and body, but then in your life in general, you can also live more often in this optimal place. And at least with my college kids, they've kind of given up on it. They're they're just done. They're just like, well, I guess life is going to be crap. And this is how it, I'm like, no, (laughs) have hope. If, If optimal state means anything, it means there is hope. Hi, I'm Nita. Welcome to Ask Me About Yoga Therapy, where we explore the profession of yoga therapy, one practitioner at a time. Amy Wheeler wants to teach people how to create sustainable health and happiness. She does this as a yoga therapist, as an academic researcher, professor, educator. She's past president of the International Association of Yoga Therapists and has served with the National Ayurvedic Medical Association. And I recommend her podcast, Yoga Therapy Hour with Amy Wheeler. You can learn more about her Optimal State Yoga Therapy program at amywheeler.com, and May 2nd, she'll be launching the Optimal State mobile app, which offers an Ayurvedic and yoga approach to mental health. All links in the episode notes. Let's go. What is yoga therapy? I think yoga therapy is a holistic lifestyle management program that brings us to salutogenesis or becoming a, the best version of ourselves we can be so that we can flourish in the world. And I think that's different than most healthcare modalities that are more focused on pathogenesis, meaning here's what's gone wrong and we're going to try to fix that. Instead, we're saying, we know you have that place within you that is eternal, all-knowing, free of fear, and we want to help you get back to that. What do you think people's biggest misconceptions are about yoga therapy? Well, I've been doing it 25 years and my family thinks I'm like a highly, highly trained stretching coach. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Sorry for laughing. Yeah, I think a lot of people get that. (laughs) And, And that's, you know, when you say yoga, the only thing that Westerners have to think of is like, oh, I saw those people stretching at the YMCA when I was on the treadmill or you know, they don't understand yoga therapy is this holistic lifestyle management system. And as you know, every yoga therapist, at least in my tiny exploration, seems to serve in a slightly different way. What does that look like in your world? It looks like when the client arrives that I am present with them, that I have a very open heart that I want to know who they are. Um, There's kindness, there's hopefully good listening ability, there's connection. And we start from there. And I think, you know, we may as yoga therapists think that's not quite enough. But I would argue that starting point, if we did nothing else, if we never gave an asana or pranayama or meditation, or if we did nothing else, that would be a huge part of helping this person find their way back to that Purusha that is within them. Because I think it happens in, in connection with other humans. I think it's really hard to get back to who you really are in isolation. You know, I, I'm often concerned 
not because of what you said, but because of this word therapy, that people sometimes put this together with the talk therapy too much. And it is distinct. Can you put words to how it is distinct? Yes, I call it embodied mental health care, which means your mind is in every single cell of your body. And even though we are working with our thoughts, we are working with the conversations that we're having in our, in our own mind, but also with other people, which would be more like talk, talk therapy. I think what I feel we're doing is we are shifting the physiology on the cellular level at the same time. And that's what I mean by embodied mental health care. And, you know, some people experience their anxiety or depression more of a cognitive way. Other people experience their mental health issues more um, in a somatic way in their, in their bodies. And I think we're, we're squarely meeting them in their body. And of course we might refer out to a psychologist for talk therapy too, but the talking that I'm doing with them is centered around the lived experience in their body and the sensations they feel and the breath entering and leaving and the um, tension that they can feel in different places. It's very much embodied. And I, I think there are psychologists that are, are learning this, you know, there's, there's actual training programs now that are taking psychologists and having a more embodied approach. But what I think is different about what a yoga therapist is doing is we're actually viewing this person from the ancient texts. That's our lens, the Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, the Taittiriya Upanishad with the Panchamaya model. You know, we are actually looking at them through this lens of ancient Indian teachings, which is a completely different lens than modern psychology. Mm -hmm. What do you think are the most powerful aspects of that? Hmm. Well, number one, that the teachings have helped people to suffer less for 5,000 years, you know, like that's amazing. I also think um, going back to what we began with this idea of salutogenesis or eudaimonia, that we are starting from the perspective that you are whole, you are perfect. You have everything you need inside of you. You are not broken. We have not diagnosed you. We have not labeled you. We have not told you you're going to be limited in this way or that way because of your diagnosis. We're, we're saying, no, we just need to help you remember who you are. And, you know, I'll give you an example of that. You know, you could think that chronic pain is just in, in your body, right? It's the, in the tissues, but chronic pain is is actually, if you really spiral down into the deepest layers of what's causing chronic pain, it's a disconnection with our own sensations, a disconnection with knowing when we need to go to the bathroom or get some water, when we need to rest a little bit. It's a disconnection from taking care of our basic human needs in the pursuit, usually of trying to have a certain image, work hard enough, make enough money, be the person your family thinks you need to be or your parents, right? So we've kind of delinked from our deepest true self in order to please the outside world. And we've forgotten all about that 
connection, not just to our basic biological needs, but our spiritual needs, our mental, emotional needs. So a lot of what I do with chronic pain and also autoimmune disease is help people just remember like you truly are a radiant being. And now we need to make your lifestyle match that. Our culture often thinks of pain as a hypersensitivity. And yet you just mentioned uh, this observation that it often arises from not sensing into the body. It's such a fascinating paradox. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? I do. You know, I, I just had to go back to teaching at the university for the first time in two years because we've been online and now we started back. And I have come home two days in a row now, completely contracted, in chronic pain, hunched over in this kind of protective like stance, like, oh, this hurts, right? And it, the inability to digest what the world says is normal it is not normal to have 400 kids in a classroom and a line out the door that they need to talk to you. It is not normal to be asked to stand without a break for four hours. It is not normal to have a 10 minute break between classes where you have to get across campus and hydrate yourself and go to the bathroom. Intent, like what what is structured for us in corporate America and education and you know most jobs out there is actually not sustainable and it's completely undigestible mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So I wouldn't say I have a hypersensitivity. I would say I'm trying to make sense of a very unsustainable mm. you know, job that I have and try to figure out how to work with my system knowing that that's what the structure expects of me. And I could do it in my twenties and thirties and forties, but now I'm in my fifties and frankly, I don't want to do it anymore. Am I hearing that you've lived with chronic pain? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, most of my clients after a year or two or three of working together, what they finally come to, it takes them quite a long time is that the life they've created for themselves is actually not going to work for them any longer. And they're going to have to make some change and figure out what that looks like for, for themselves. That's big information because I think a lot of people at this time are wondering the same thing. What yeah. are your thoughts around that? It is, at least in, in the United States, this is endemic. I think this, what did they call it? The everybody left their jobs during the pandemic. I think this is why they got a taste of what a normal life of eating well, going to the bathroom, hydrating, not being in the car for four hours a day, you know, doing two and three people's jobs. I think they just said, wait a minute, this, this is what life could be like. I, I cannot go back to that. And in fact, I too have resigned. I'm my last day at the university is in May because I've made this fundamental decision that I can't put myself through that any longer, as much as I love the kids. Wow, I feel like we just got a major news headline about you too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just starting to tell people because I had announced it, but this is what I'm talking about. When I work with people with chronic pain, there's a, a time where they finally come to the realization that 
I can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And that's where I'm at. You've mentioned that you enjoy practicing over Zoom, which mm -hmm. the rest of the world has only just caught up with. And you have a lot of experience in that. How do you see the whole person over Zoom? How, how do you engage the non-verbal parts of that person? Well, first of all, I want to say most of the people I work with do have chronic pain or autoimmune disease. And getting in a car to drive somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes and find parking and walk into the building and try to get comfortable there. By the time they get there, their nervous system is so ratcheted up. It takes me half the session to even calm them down to have a starting place versus on Zoom. I literally log on. They've had a comfortable morning. They've got their tea. They've got their pillows and their cat or whatever they need. And we can just jump right in. So I think this assumption that good work can't be done together um, if it's not in person, I just think that's fundamentally wrong. There's so many people and especially people who need yoga therapy that will do way better if they don't have to run around and drive and, you know, walk into a building up a bunch of stairs. So that's the number one thing I want to say, but I think your, your fundamental question is how do you work with somebody? And, you know, I'm looking at them from the perspective of yoga and Ayurveda. I'm, I'm not just doing physical exercises. And in some cases I don't teach any physical exercises. So a big, huge intervention that is works with almost every single person that has chronic pain is drinking warm water all day. Why do I need to be in person to talk about that and explain why that is and how it helps, um, you know, getting up at the same time every single day and getting into a bathtub with Epsom salts. I don't need to be in person to give that lifestyle advice. What are they, um, fueling up on, you know, I, I might, I don't give a lot of dietary advice, but I might suggest something like, you know, caffeine can really contribute to chronic pain. How many cups of coffee are you having in the morning? Right. So we call this Dinacharya. I'm sure, you know, that we're just kind of mapping out a proper lifestyle routine. Almost everybody in chronic pain and autoimmune needs some kind of rest in the early afternoon after lunch. So two o'clock to 2.30 PM, they need a yoga nidra. I don't need to be in person to do that, right? So when I look at yoga therapy, I'm looking at the whole person and the whole life, like from morning till night, what are the different interventions we can use? It's really not, uh, you know, I'm gonna do something to your muscles kind of thing. One other question, your website is called Optimal State. Mm-hmm. Do you, I just feel like I want to ask you this wide question. Can you riff on those words? What mm -hmm. does optimal state mean to you? So for me, and this is interesting because I realize other people have different interpretations, but it's this idea of human flourishing that we are here to experience joy and wonder and be in our optimal state. It's, it's sattva, you know, the balancing and harmonizing of your mind. And it's a path to get to feeling better, a sense of wellness, salutogenesis, eudaimonia, whatever you want to call it. It's showing people that there is a way to feel good again. I'm going to leave you with that insistent hope. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, Shanti. Bye-bye.